Hello and welcome to In the Skies of Love, a podcast dedicated to the classic anime series Legend of Galactic Heroes. My name is Kamal, and I invite you to accompany me as I make my way through this classic space opera for the first time. Joining us on our voyage are our guides Tom and Joel, two diehard fans. Together we'll be reviewing and analyzing each episode of Legend of the Galactic Heroes, exploring its complex characters, intricate political machinations, and breathtaking space battles. We'll delve into the themes, symbols, and historical references that make this series a timeless classic, sharing our thoughts and insights with you as we journey through the skies of love and war in Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Sit back, relax, and join us on this epic adventure. Can I just say it's very nice to be back. We took a little bit of a hiatus. Uh, yeah, we did. Uh, but it's, I, I really am happy to be watching this again now. Yep. Um, As we were planning to re-record this, I got just more and more excited um, about watching the episodes again. And uh, <laughs> sitting down to watch them, I felt very, uh, very cozy to be back in that space. Yeah, it's like a being em- embraced by like a warm blanket or something, you know, going back to Legend of the Galactic Heroes. It's, it feels Christmassy, despite the fact it's now stupidly hot here in Japan and stupidly humid. Uh, but um Okay, so we're doing episodes uh, eight and nine today, um, which is a it's an imperial arc, um, and uh, who is who's doing the who's doing the the synopsis this time? Do you want me to read one? I feel like you did it last time. Actually, mm-hmm. I'm happy to read one this time. You just like okay. the name of this episode, so. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, we can have a discussion about the episode names because they're both great. Um, so this uh, first one, episode eight, um, is Cool, Clear, Artificial Eyes. Um, and the synopsis is um, Paul von Oberstein, chief and chief of staff of the Isalon fleet, is in trouble. He saw through Yang Wenli's plan, but his commander didn't listen to him, and he fled before the destruction of the fleet. The three chiefs of the Imperial fleet resign, but want to make him responsible of the defeat. Oberstein meets Reinhardt von Lohengram and explains how, like him, he hates the High Nobles and the Goldenbaum dynasty, and offer his help. Reinhardt agrees and obtains his pardon by advising the Emperor to refuse the chief's resignations. Once again, delivered with all of the typos intact from the Legend of Galactic Heroes fan wiki. So uh, what what are your feelings on this episode, Kamel? Uh, you want to give us your... Um... My, my overall view of we watched episodes eight and nine mm. and um together I, I think these are my two favorite episodes of the show mm. i really really enjoyed these um they felt a bit like I, I, there is a comparison to um there's certain episodes of the west wing mm-hmm. where they invite foreign uh, dignitaries for like fancy dinners mm-hmm. um and there's all sorts of behind the scenes stuff going on during the fancy dinner with like diplomatic relations and stuff and political drama. Felt like one of those uh, episodes. Um, uh, it reminds me a little of um, Downton Abbey as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm speaking generally across the two. Um, and um, even a little bit of uh, Game of Thrones mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. when it was good. So it was, I, I really enjoyed these two. I think this is the first time we really delve into what's happening in on the Empire side. Like we've seen a little bit on the um, uh, the Free Planets Alliance side, like what's happening at home. But I, th- I think this is 
the first yeah the first glimpse that we get into the politics that are taking place on in the empire yeah um i think uh, i also really loved both of these episodes i was quite um it's quite uh, i was quite surprised i guess with, with how like cohesive and how together both of them felt especially compared that coming off the back of the last three um which although they were very fun i think we both had some issues with the way that the writing was handled and the way the pacing was handled um these two felt extremely solid um like just very tightly written and um yeah yeah just yeah yeah night and day um before we kind of dive deeply into the discussion of the episode should we quickly do uh fan mails and corrections uh, section which is a, a a section of the podcast that i don't think any of us ever thought that we would be um surprised uh, <laughs> yeah um so we received an email from i don't know if i yeah i mean are they a fan uh, there was there was some warmth listener. email a listener yeah a listener and um yeah so thank you very much for, for writing in first of all um and this was basically um there's a couple of things so there was one about the inconsistent art style that we mentioned going back to the previous uh, three episodes um and this person uh emailed us to let us know that uh the inconsistent art style is a result of there being multiple studios involved. Um, so the El Fashel flashbacks with Frederica were drawn later for the Blu-ray and DVD releases of Legend of the Galactic Heroes um, as the original cells and film masters were damaged in an office flooding. Uh, although one, when both of us, you know, um, all three of us and, and this person looked for evidence of this office flooding, flooding um, I don't think anything, uh, we couldn't, couldn't uncover anything. Um, so yeah, that's that's sort of a, a correction or a, a piece of information that was very, uh, very useful. So, um, yeah, receiving this email was like uh, <laughs> going through my PhD defense all over again. This is someone who like uh, knows what they're talking about and came in with like primary sources and uh, you know. Um, like pictures and photos, and, yeah, of like yeah, the there's old, like um, screen. Uh, God, I don't even know what it's called. Like a like a cell. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Hang on. So this was to do with the uh, rack focus that Kamel mentioned on uh, one of the episodes. Um, basically, we we also were corrected here. So it isn't a particularly modern technique, and is widely used at the time. Um, you basically, yeah, so they've sent us these pictures, which maybe we'll include in the podcast description if we uh, can can do that, um, of one of these rack-focused cell kind of machines where you have the camera at the top taking a picture of multiple animation cells that you can bring in and out of focus. Um, really cool, like really old-fashioned animation um, equipment. But yes. So thank you very much to, to TACT um, for sending us this this. Um, very well researched and, and, and helpful email, um, and yeah, uh, yeah. Anyone really else? Yeah. Appreciate it. It was a lot of yeah, a lot of work that went into these emails, um, and they yeah. really caught us by surprise. And uh, yeah, I think made everybody's day. So thank you very much. I, I would buy one of these cell, um, you know, the, the rack focus machines. Mm -hmm. so cool. Yeah, um, it looks a little like a torture device. Um, yeah, well. <laughs> they do look like a guillotine, like. It's uh, I guess it's kind of the same function as a guillotine, just sort of slower and more precise. Um, 
I can't really think of any any other differences. Yeah. <laughs> but That's yes, great. they recommend uh, 1979's The Rose of Versailles as like a really great example mm. of that rack focused technique. It's cool. Yeah. So yeah, um, super super helpful. And we were also directed to the blog of the lead producer um, as a result of this uh, exchange. So yeah, if anyone else wants to send in corrections or or comments to the podcast. Um, It'd be great if you were as polite and respectful as this other person was, um, <laughs> rather than just telling us that we're wrong about things. So yeah, thank you, Tact. And uh, yeah. Uh, the email, if you do want to send something in, is in the skies of love at gmail.com. Yeah. Great. Uh, fan mail out of the way. Should we talk episode eight? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so episode eight opens with uh, something I've wanted from the show for a long time, mm -hmm. which is a, a history of the empire. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, like uh, how, like a Ken Ken Burns documentary style mm -hmm. uh, PowerPoint slides uh, fading in between each other. Um, that was great. I I, I really uh, needed and wanted that. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that you're appreciating the narrator more? with these sort of uh, kind of historical dives. Yes. Uh, yeah. I think, I think that that is his purpose. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> I don't know. You could, you could have shot it in scenes, I guess. And, and like, mm -hmm. I, I guess just, uh, it's not my style to use a narrator ever mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, in writing. So, but it's, it totally works um, yep. in, in this, in this scene. Um, I think it's pretty great. I, I, when they show the, What's the first Imperial's name? Rudolph? Yeah, Rudolph, yeah. Um, when they show a scene of him being like inaugurated as the first emperor? Or what, 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 Kaiser, what yeah. Kaiser, okay. Um, I couldn't help but think back to um, the 1999 classic, episode one, The Phantom Menace. Um, <laughs> of course, of course. And how, <laughs> yeah. how Chancellor Palpatine, you know, rose up through the, through, through the Republic. Mm. managed to have a coup of, an, of, of his own and take over and convert it into the empire yeah it's um it's so true and um it's very interesting as well that although this has never happened in reality that both of these kind of artistic works have uh reflected this same i don't know jungian truth uh underlying uh all of politics yeah, I mean, I, I find it quite scary because, as we all know, science fiction is a really good predictor of you know, future technologies and these sorts of things. So it's quite scary mm. when when separate science fiction writers write this kind of scene and you think, oh, this could happen to us at some yeah. point. Um, mm. So true. I'm going to take everything you said at face value and, and assume that I'll be sarcastic. <laughs> it make me feel bad if you knew. Um, uh, the other thing they show in the little flashback is the the, the start of the Free Planetary Alliance. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is really cool to see because it flipped my initial assumption of the show, which mm -hmm. was that the Free Planetary Alliance was came first. Right. Yeah. And the Imperials broke off of them. Um, I think that was a confusion we had in the first episode, right? Because it says that the space date and the like, the imperial date is much younger than the, um, you know, mm -hmm. the official space date. Yeah, because they and I think this is the old date, I yeah, guess. exactly. Yeah. So they return back to the old uh, kind of calendar. Um, so I understand now why we were confused about that in the first episode. Um, mm. 
Yeah, but, but it's great. It's, it's, it's cool to see that. There's so much um, uh, below the iceberg of, of like mm-hmm. the current story that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. And there's hundreds of years of history going back before our time with Yang Wenli mm-hmm. and Sloan Graham. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, yeah, I really like that. Yeah. I, I think I commented in my notes about like, there's a bit when like the Free Planets Alliance breaks away and then there's hundreds of years or like 150 years or something between, um, and they describe it as like first contact as if it's like, uh, you know, two groups of aliens meeting each other, you know, mm-hmm. like this uh, enormous depth of time that these two civilizations have been kind of going their own way. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, it does kind of contextualize a lot of the things that you see. I think these both of these episodes are very strong on the sort of historical uh, side of things, like a, a lot about uh, how the past affects the present and things that don't get forgotten or things that sort of stay in the background the whole time. Um, yeah, I think particularly episode nine, there's like the ending scene of episode nine, uh, which we'll, yeah. we'll get to, is very like interested in this. Yeah. Um, so after the little uh, flashback history lesson, mm. um, we, we cut back to right after uh, Isolan Fortress has been taken over mm-hmm. and um, the Imperials being informed of that fact of their major loss. <clears throat> and it shows the building that they've, they're, the establishing shot of the building, um, that they go to do that. And it's an octagon. Mm-hmm. Which I can't help but feel is a direct reference to the Pentagon. Um, <laughs> it seems impossible yeah. that, that they would, you know, do that. Um, but it's cool. It's got like it's it's really strange though because when you look at the image of the octagon, that's what mm-hmm. I'm gonna call it. That um, <laughs> from above, it looks like you know the, the Pentagon or whatever, with more sides. Uh, but the facade of the building has the sort of um, you know the the Greek or Roman like pillars, mm, right? Yeah, that go all the way around uh, the facades, um, and the internal courtyards that those sort of buildings have. If you know what mm-hmm. I mean, where yeah, a, yeah, um, and then in the center of the octagon, it sort of dips down like a cone, um, mm-hmm. not right. I see. Straight, yeah, it like curves down into like a smaller octagon. I don't know, fifty, a hundred stories down. Mm-hmm. Um, really, I don't understand that at all. Um, mm-hmm. I'm very curious if that's just a, an artist or a painter going, man, this would look cool. Or Right, yeah, yeah. Like, is know, there some... The, yeah, because yeah, cause there seems to be lots of either highways or runways that, you know, go towards towards where the octagon is. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of greenery, a lot of green space. Yeah. Um, so it's just interesting architecturally why it's, it's like, it kind of seems like if I asked stable diffusion to give me the Pentagon with more <laughs> sides and then yeah. make it look like a Roman cathedral or something and, yeah. and what it would output. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it does have like an uncanny quality to it. Like it was only up on screen for a few seconds. Um, but yeah, this like, I, I also think I, uh, oh, Thomas sent a picture. I think that might yeah. be a picture of it. So I had to look um, up because I, I, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I have a picture up now. Yeah, it does literally just, it, it does look like the Pentagon. It looks exactly like the Pentagon, but with a different number of sides, obviously. Um, and 
yeah, it does just like sink into the ground. Like the central area is like a hole. Um, or at least that's how it looks from like the perspective that you see. Um, it is very cool. Um, it is very uh, fascist in its kind of presentation. Um, it kind of reminds me, I don't know if you've ever seen the pictures of like... Um, what Hitler's plans were for Berlin, like what he wanted Berlin to look like uh, as like the, the capital of, of, of his empire. Um, these like mock-ups are completely insane. And also I think Legends of the Galactic Heroes continually references these mock-ups like all the way through. So we'll probably come back to them in the future. Um, uh, yeah, or like, yeah, I think it's kind of like the Nero thing as well, right? Like rebuilding Rome in stone after the fire of Rome um, as a sort of, yeah. Um, but yeah, a very peculiar building, the octagon. Yeah, I mean, I, I can understand all of these sort of like design mm. choices and logic of everything except the sort of yeah. void cone in the middle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is it for like, is it for launching stuff? Is it for? Yeah, that's sort of what it implies to me. But why yeah. you wouldn't launch something from there once you like? Right from from the middle of your like central command. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm on the wiki. Um, it doesn't really give much information. It's, it's called the Ministry of War Building mm. or the Imperial Ministry of Military Affairs. Okay, so it is the Pentagon. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, the seat of the Galactic Empire's War Ministry on the planet um. Odin. I mean, it is literally the Pentagon. Like, if you if you look at images of the Pentagon, it has the same like cutaway sections in the center, right? Like, they're sort these, of inverted, right? In the Pentagon, yeah. it's a series of buildings, right? Yeah, yeah. this is like one building with cutouts for yeah. courtyards. For yeah, for central for lighting or for courtyards. Yeah, yeah. There's actually a bunch of uh, sketches of it here as well, which are quite cool. So I'll, um, I'll send you yeah. guys this later. Okay. That's also, yeah, if we can link them in the podcast description. Um, yeah, yeah. The octagon looks cooler. <laughs> then the pentagon, then the real life pentagon. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they don't have to, in the anime, they don't have to, like, you know, uh, have yeah. to have space for car parks and spaghetti highways and stuff like that. Mm. I mean, they do have, like, an enormous space for a car park in this picture. I don't know if, like, on the le on the right side of the image, there is just, like, a colossal car park. That's true, yeah. 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 Again, it kind of rem reminds me of when we were talking about the architecture of the FPA, uh, like, central uh, Senate building, where it's just set in the middle of nowhere, right? Like, these uh, places yeah. of power are just, like, in these deserts, basically, um, yeah, with nothing around them. Yeah. Yeah, so we're in we're in the octagon. We're meeting the uh, three kind of chiefs of staff of the military, um, whose names I cannot remember. Yeah, um, I don't think it's very important. And they are discussing basically whose fault it is. Um, yeah, and I think even at that point, yeah. So even at that point, they're all discussing the fact that they will have to resign. Um, so that's kind of where we set up the stakes for the episode. Yeah, this is this is the very West Wing thing to me. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> is um the the 
there's been some problem someone has to decide to mm-hmm. give in their letters of resignation mm-hmm. the, the president or the the kaiser in this case has to decide whether to accept mm-hmm. talking to advisors and stuff um obviously this show does not have the benefit of like an aaron sorkin script which for me is mm-hmm. a disappointment of course mm-hmm. um but still that's the type of i don't know i really enjoy those kind of stories yeah yeah um I think the show is better when it's doing this kind of stuff as opposed to the battles, which yeah, are not. Right. Um, you know, maybe if you got Studio Trigger to do the battles, then I'd be more interested. <laughs> but, um, yeah. They're fine. They look cool as paintings, just not very um, absorbing as, I don't know. Yeah, I, I do agree. I think uh, going back to something I think we said in like episode two or whatever, the battles will, I think, be more interesting when we know the stakes or the ideologies of the characters who are actually in the battles. Um, and basically, I think these political scenes taking place in like the halls of government and the battles effectively serve the same purpose. Like They're just discussions on how power should operate or how a state should operate. Uh, and in the case of yeah, this section, like to me, these two episodes, to get taken together, are about um, image and accountability. Like, uh, you know, in particular, like in monarchies or in empires, you have to maintain face all the time. And so these three people are basically saying, we will take accountability for this mistake. And then the discussion is, can the state, uh, can the state be upheld without these people taking accountability for what's happened? Um, and that this calculation is, is basically being made all the time in the halls of government. Um, and we're just, yeah, we're just privy to this one um incident uh yeah and you see this all the way to the present day in real life right like uh will this person you know can we afford to let this person resign because of a mistake that's taken place um, yeah and, or can and the state vacuum, take the injury what sort yeah. of vacuum do you create by um having to let those people go and what's going to come mm-hmm. in to fill that and they're quite yeah. everybody seems afraid of low and graham basically mm-hmm. b- becoming more powerful because he's the only legitimate person who could fill these sorts of roles um, mm-hmm. none of them they're all a bit afraid of his ambition and um yeah so the conversation has to happen like do, do you do you really need to resign do we really need to let these people go um because we all know what's going to happen mm-hmm. um, this question of uh mistakes and accountability and letters of resignation um seems when you say it happens in the current day like it happens every three and a half weeks with the toilet yeah. party. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's very prescient. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, um, yeah, the more kind of uh, based on image your government is or your kind of state project is, uh, the more complicated these calculations get, right? Like, um, if you think about like a very image-focused government like China or, or these sorts of places, um, these sort of discussions become extra, ex- extremely complicated. Um, and you, again, we're jumping ahead. We'll talk about it again at the end of the episode. But at the end, you know, you have this um, kind of symbols of the old empire burning. And even the narrator says, like, this sort of struggle for power has been going on for so long but most people don't know about it, right? Like all of these, um, this image of stability is projected by by the empire, um, but it is like rotting on the inside, uh, it is all uh, an image. And therefore there are these discussions of who is gonna resign 
and can we afford to let this person resign and, and this kind of stuff um, is all based around image. It's not really based around justice or accountability. Yeah. 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 I think we, it, it does come into even sharper focus in the next episode as well. Um, but then in, in between on this one, we see the scene of Paul, is he Von or is he Van? Paul Von Oberstein. Um, basically deserting the fleet. So we saw that at the end of the last episode, right? Where yeah. he is continually being not listened to um, and getting, he's being extremely patient, but obviously getting frustrated as his, uh, his admiral just leads the whole fleet into danger and then basically sacrifices all of them. And he deserts just in time when he's given that moment to just, just leave. And he takes that on face value and gets in a ship and literally leaves and flies back to the empire. Um, and we see how much of a, a gamble that was the position that he's put himself in. And he, he knows mm-hmm. that's the position that he's put himself in, that he's either, he, he's banking on being able to convince Lo and Graham to protect yeah. him, even though they don't know each other. Um, otherwise he's going to get court-martialed and face the consequences of that court-martialing. Which would be, what would it be death or would it be prison for life or? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't think they mention it in the show um, or mention it in this episode. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what the consequences would be. Mm. I would think at the least imprisonment, but. Um, yeah, I don't think they go into details on what his punishment is going to be. Um, but yeah, he kind of makes this, like, uh, yeah, this whole scene when he comes into Lo and Graham's office, um, I think is is great. I was uh, surprised how much I enjoyed it because the first time we watched the show, I remember feeling uh, obviously very distrustful of Oberstein. That's like your primary kind of emotion as you watch this um, this scene. But yeah, there's a lot going on. Right. Like he comes in and he says, oh, it's not just the fact that I'm uh, that I deserted. It's also that I'm the only surviving person from this group of people who failed. And so they need to make an example of me. And so I'm basically in a, um, a desperate situation. And he takes this gamble on uh, supporting Lohengram. Mm. Um, yeah. How much of a, of a gamble is it? Is it? Is it that he already realizes that Lohan Graham has that same, they're like aligned politically? Like, mm. does, is he intuiting that or is he just gambling that this is a rising star in the, in the mm-hmm. forest? I can put this idea in his head. I, I'm saying we understand from the show that they're politically aligned because mm-hmm. we see it. But I'm saying from Oberstein's perspective. Yeah, I think it's I think it's quite interesting because the he walks in and he says some extremely bold things um you get the there are other moments in this episode where the other admirals are talking about how there's there's rumors already circulating about um Lauren Graham's ambitions and even about like you know potentially overthrowing the Kaiser and this sort of stuff that that is mentioned um I think this comes up in, in episode nine actually towards the end um so there are, I, I mean, I guess Oberstein has has heard these rumors to some extent. Um, but nevertheless, he walks in and he says some, yeah, like openly treasonous things. Um, yeah. To the point where he nearly gets arrested. Yeah. Uh, but he, yeah, he does see this. 
uh, I, I'm not really sure what it is. Like he recognizes a kind of integrity or like openness or something in Lohengram that makes him different to uh, the the old aristocrats and kind of knows that if he acts the same way around him, he that's 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 how he has to be to 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 win mm-hmm. this favor and to, to be protected um yeah i think oberstein is one of the most complicated characters in the show and one of the most difficult to pin down what his actual motivations or feelings are in a specific situation um i mean he made his motivations quite explicit yeah but again it's sort of like it's never clear in the show how much of it is an act or how much of it is manipulative I think he clearly takes a gamble on on Lohengram, like he, or he, you know, he clearly puts himself out there and aligns himself with Lohengram. But in terms of how earnestly does he believe in Lohengram's political project, um, I think that that question is not clearly answered for a really long time. Um, and uh, yeah, I think we can continue to talk about it and how we feel about it as the show goes forward. My interpretation of this moment was that he doesn't really believe in Lohengram's political project because, I mean, how could he? Lohengram hasn't made anything clear about what his project is, right? At this point, he is just a, a, a potential uh, suitor for the throne or a potential uh, like claimant for the throne. Um, all Oberstein wants is the destruction of a dynasty that he feels is unjust or unfair. Um, and he's Again, just I, kind I, of... I, I'm not even sure if that's clear. Um... Mm. Like it, he seems quite quite earnest and passionate when he comes into the room yeah. and delivers the right. speech, but it's also kind of like he walks in. He knows that Lohengram has already made enemies and has enemies in these old aristocrats and he's different, and so he just mm-hmm. walks in and says, "I hate those other guys so much, you wouldn't <laughs> believe it." Um, yeah. Which is kind of what you do if you wanted to prove your, you know, try and be loyal to this new person. Say, oh, or yeah, if you wanted to enemies. not get killed, right? Those yeah. guys who want to kill me. Uh, I hate them so much. Yeah. I know that you hate them too. So maybe we could team up. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, how much of that is put on or not? Um, yeah. But yeah, most of the time he's very difficult to read. Like his expression, his tone of voice are very, um, you know, like monotone, very controlled. Um, mm. Even like the way the he's in that room. Yeah. <laughs> Even the way that he, you know, sees the world with these like cybernetic eyes, these like, um, it's not even that you could, like, you can't even read that. You can't read anything in his eyes because they're, <laughs> they're not real eyes, um, which I think is part of, part of the design of the, the character or the theming there. Um, I mean, you could say realize, realize real lies um which i think really speaks to his character so true one one thing i thought was good in that scene or it went a different way than i thought it was which is when lohengram makes a big show of saying uh 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 uh, arrest this man he is a he is a traitor to the people and then he comes into the room uh, takes out a gun aims it at him and then Oberstein's like, you wouldn't shoot me. And I was so sure he was going to like cut the gun and shoot him right there. If the man is a sociopath and he definitely would. Yeah. Um, I did not get the sense he wouldn't shoot him. I don't understand where you've got this idea from that Kirkyais is some sort of sociopath. It's, I feel like you've clearly, or you've, <laughs> you've purely judged it from the animation, like the limited animation on his face. 
it, it's an animated show. Like, what, yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> but like, I never got the impression that he wasn't that he was like a sociopath. It's the combination of his face and the vocal performance. Sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's not a very dynamic performance. Yeah. Um. When he says, "I, I don't think you would shoot me," and then yeah. it, it does a close up of his finger on the trigger. Yeah, right. I couldn't tell if that shot was meant to imply, I'll definitely shoot you as soon as he says shoot. Sure, yeah. Or yeah. if he was saying, no, 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 I, I can't actually. It wasn't clear to me what if he was, you know, squeezing mm. the trigger or not. Anyway. Yeah, I, I also thought the same thing, and I thought that that was probably intentional. Like The audience is not really supposed to know. Um, I was torn between, if Lauren Graham says, no, shoot him, he would just shoot him. But also if... Lone Grab says nothing, he'd be Yeah, I don't know, unsure. I mean, he he hasn't really got a lot to go on. Lone Grab just says, This guy is treasonous. Yeah. Uh, shoot him. Or well, not shoot him, arrest him, but um I definitely think that if Lone Graham had said shoot him at that moment, then Kirky Ice would have done it. I don't have any question about that. Uh but yeah, would he have done it under his own initiative? I do think, I mean, I think Kirky Ice when he's in the same room as Lowe Low and Graham doesn't take initiative often, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it, a lot of it is offloaded onto his other half. Um, so yeah, who knows? That's, that's an interesting question. Um, um, just, to, just to roll it back for a second, before this mm-hmm. key, I think it maybe is the key scene of the episode, mm-hmm. um, you do see um, the... The, the state minister informing the Kaiser about what's happened mm-hmm. to Iceland Fortress. And he makes this point about saying imperial territory must be sacred and inviolable against foreign invaders. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. cuts uh, right to um, uh, Lohengram making the point that, like, well, are they foreign invaders or are they rebel forces in imperial borderlands? Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, which I think speaks to your question about, like, image and how they present yep. these questions because. One implies, you know, you can make you can make either argument really. Um, yeah, yeah. Because they haven't seen each other in 150 years, but they had a break. But yeah. <laughs> also, they were, if the Imperials, I assume, consider all of that imperial territory, mm. and they were a rebel breakoff from the Imperials uh, initially. So, yeah, an interesting point. I never thought about. Yeah, I think this does come up repeatedly as well in the show. Of yeah. Um, when the empire wants them to be foreign invaders, you know, to commit war crimes, for example, they they can do that when they want them to be uh, like you know, uh, rebels, you know, who are just uh, yeah, they've been just deceived or whatever, you know. Then then that's convenient. Um, the truth is kept very ambiguous by by those in power. Um, so yeah, I also love that Lohengram is like sitting side saddle in his uh, uh, his throne in that scene. Like he's like got like he's like got his legs crossed and he's like sitting uh, off to the side, and he's like these guys they're just making shit up. There's like there's not <laughs> are they foreign invaders or are they are they rebels? You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like business casual. Um. Also, rolling back from the Oberstein or the the end of the Oberstein discussion, um. I'd forgotten that this scene where Lohengram explicitly says that Kirky Ice is the same, like an extension of his body, you know, is in this episode, um, which I, I remembered that line all the way to the end of the show. Um, 
that is like a, a I think it's quite key because it's one of the only times where you see them being vulnerable around other people with regards to their uh, very special connection that they have between the two of them. Um, because yeah, yeah Oberstein asks him to leave the room, and Lo and Graham was like, "Nope." Uh, like, yeah, what different or something? Yeah, yeah. What difference would it make yeah. if I tell him now or you tell him now? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. I think in all of the previous episodes, they don't really address this themselves. They know other mm -hmm. people are talking about it, like these these two men who are basically, uh, you know, their best friends, and they have this like additional level of loyalty and um, this sort of, I don't know, almost like unfair advantage going on uh, mm -hmm. as, as one of them rises the other one will always get dragged up because they'll be supporting each other but they yeah they never really address it explicitly but um Lone Graham does do it in this one-on-one -on -one, mm -hmm. two-on-one one-on-one meeting um hmm. i want to know what kirkyice was doing when he went into the other room I, I couldn't stop thinking about that i was like he's like i'm gonna go and wait in the other room he definitely had a cup against the zero. Yeah, yeah. With a gun uh, ready, if you like. Yeah. Yeah, because he says Kirky Ice, he just bursts into the room immediately. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought it was a good scene also. Like when he, he commits high treason and says, oh, you know, Oberstein commits high treason, says he hates the dynasty, hates the empire. You want to see the whole thing burned down. And then Lo and Graham's like, I'm going to arrest you. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to turn you in. And Oberstein already knows that he's not going to do that. So <laughs> yeah. Like this whole thing is like an act, right? Like, um, and uh, that he has to. Or does he have to just double down at this point? There's no, you can't back sure. out of this. Yeah. So you have to put all your chips in and say. Yeah. Yeah. That this is the, this is the, the only uh, gambit you have. Gosh. It's just going to be a consistent theme in this podcast that like pinning down whether Oberstein knows something is not always easy. I think you're right that like, yeah, in that situation, there's nothing else to do but double down. Um, yeah. Yeah, but he seems like he, you get the impression already knows because he seems so calm about the situation that he just says some mm. things like he knows he's going to get out of it. But then at the same time, that's his, the only way he ever really appears on screen. Um, yeah as calm and collected and I don't know. Extremely good poker player. <laughs> so, sure. yeah, yeah. 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 He only has one set of ha uh, cards to play. Yeah. I don't think it is possible for him to know for sure, but he has to, you know, he's already, he already admitted to treason. So he's got to yeah. go all the way. Back. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. What, what are you going to do in that situation? I just think that most people wouldn't be able to think that quickly. Right. Like <laughs> a lot of other characters in the show would have panicked under those circumstances. So yeah. I assume he plotted it out beforehand. Yeah. I assume he, he, you know, he thought it could go one of two ways. And if it goes mm -hmm. this way, then I'll do you this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's definitely the show's spokesperson for Machiavellianism. Um, and I think that's clear from the get go. Uh, and I think his arc Re remains interesting the whole way through um like because i don't think the show actually comes down on opinion on Machia like in a moral it doesn't come down any moral judgment on machiavellianism itself um it just presents it as a reality of politics um 
when we say Machia- Machiavellianism, is mm. that um, so? Just explicitly, is that just like how how do how does you describe that? What what is it? So it's kind of like um, may, maybe Machiavellianism is the wrong word for this, but it's kind of like maintaining power under any circumstances and so not having like a, a core ideological basis, but having power as a sort of mechanical, uh, like a way of exerting control over the environment and doing anything you can to maintain that power. And like, uh, Machiavelli talks about the fact that like good rulers should still do this. Like if you're a good person, you should still be backstabbing, manipulative, uh, you know, all this sort of stuff. Um, because the bad guys are going to do it too. And actually you can do more good by being this kind of, uh, sophist, right? Like we talked about before. Um, uh, and getting yourself into a position of power, just focus on obtaining it, and then and then do what you need to do. Um, yeah, it's uh, whereas like you know, Lone Graham is well at this point in the story, he's not very ideological, but he's he's ideological, and most of the other characters are like Yang Wenli, for example, is deeply ideological. Um, like he has a position, and then um, yeah, he doesn't. He, there's not this obsession with just obtaining power. He yeah. seems uninterested in it. He doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. want to play the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, whereas Lohan Graham seems perfectly fine playing it. Oh, well, he's grumpy about it, right? Like as we saw in episode nine, right? He hates it. Uh, like, uh, I guess he accepts the nature of of, yeah. of the thing. Yeah. Um, is this is this what game theory is? <laughs> uh, I don't think it's explicitly what game theory is. Like with something like game theory. I mean, there's like stuff in game theory about good and bad actors, right? Like if you have a system of good actors, then a single bad actor can benefit enormously. But if you have too many bad actors, then the system doesn't work. So systems over time will balance out the number of good actors and bad actors. Um, that's like a, it's, it's one conclusion of game theory, which is just a way, like game theory is just a way of analyzing these sorts of problems, like, like cost benefit analyses on like large scale or small scale. Um, it's not unrelated, I guess. Yeah. I think I don't really know what game theory is. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. it's it's uh yeah. You could apply it to many different types of system. I suppose it doesn't have to be a sociological system. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think in this, there there is like yeah, it is is kind of connected to this, like what you just said, right? Like, um, everybody sort of is talking about Lohan Graham's uh, position or his kind of like his ambition and what what mm-hmm. what his feelings are and how different he is and suddenly he's now introduced this new actor into his ecosystem of Oberstein like he if they go through this whole scene he eventually takes him on and he's like yes uh you're going to be one of my advisors I'm going to use you you're going to use me um mm-hmm. And it's all there. It, it's all becoming a bit more complex. And now you have this this new person who you don't really know, uh, yeah, how they're going to act or what what their end game is. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, is he a bad actor? Is he a good actor? Does Loam Graham become the bad actor by saying, "I'm just going to use Oberstein for my own politics"? Or, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's it's interesting. Yeah, it's quite a big decision for Loam Graham to to accept. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oberstein, right? Because when the Kaiser asks for Lohengram's advice on whether or not to accept these letters of resignation, mm-hmm. 
um, low, um, presumably Lohengrin would take one of those spots. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, he says so right at the end. He says, you know, Which one do you keeping want? you safe costed me one of those seats yeah. uh, at the top of the pyramid. Um, so obviously he thinks he's valuable uh, mm-hmm. to have alongside him. Uh, and then and then the three, the top three, I, whatever you call them, the big three, yeah. um, they get to keep their jobs. Yeah. I assume that presumably some punishment is, is laid at their feet because the card says, I'll leave the details up to the Ministry of State. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Just less severely. Mm-hmm. Um, but they seem to, in a very beautiful, like, sun, sun pouring in through the curtains kind of room. Uh, <laughs> I've never seen a shot like that in this anime before. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they have a discussion about uh, why would Lohengrim do that? There's no, what is the advantage to him giving mm-hmm. that up and giving us our seats back? And I think they catch on to the fact that <clears throat> they, he's, he's brought Oberstein along with him. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's something fishy there. Yeah. I mean, they don't really seem to see the value in that though, right? Like in that scene, they're sort of like, well, he's up to something, but like yeah. what's so special about Oberstein that, uh, we didn't see. That- Apparently. that we didn't see right yeah. um and i i think this is like a i don't know it's very complicated and maybe i'm just too stupid to understand what's going on but like for example when kirky ice is about to pull the trigger on oberstein like there is a moment where kirky ice could have become morally compromised or become uh like Lohengram's enforcer you know his um uh his gun for hire or his you know but Oberstein very quickly becomes that by the end of the episode. So all of that dirty work is like offloaded onto Oberstein at the end of the episode. There's even a conversation where they're like drinking the wine that was supposed to be for Kirchheis, uh, but he was oh, too yeah. busy with work. And uh, Graham says, we're going to have to kill people. We're going to have to like lie. We're going to have to cheat, all this kind of stuff. That's what I want you to do. That's your job now. Um, so it almost absolves Kirchheis of the responsibility of taking on that that dirty work and provides Lohengram with a person who is willing to do that and who is able to do that. Um, so in a way, he's doing this for Kirkhouse. I think, like, you could interpret it that way, right? Like, I don't think it was my first interpretation when I watched the show through, like, the first time. But definitely, like, on revisiting it, it's like a, he's keeping Kirkhouse innocent by bringing on this person as a, you know, it's a, it's a happy side effect, but... Um, it's uh, definitely seems like a motivation, and they are mirrored. Uh, yeah. so, sorry, uh, prior to that happening, he does promote Kirka guys, right? To yeah, command commanding his own set mm. of ships. Yeah, yeah. Um, just one thought: the the scene with the three admirals, the big three, mm. uh, when they're in that room, and uh, we don't really get a sense of the time of day mm-hmm. in any of the other scenes. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. all interior shots except for this final shot with the three of them, mm-hmm. where you can see through the windows that the sun is setting mm-hmm. on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's art director brain right there. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I didn't get that till right now. but <laughs> No, I think you're completely right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, this this kind of theming extends over the next episode as well. So maybe it's, it's very clever. The characters even draw attention like to it. Yeah, right. right. They even draw attention to it in the next episode. <laughs> sorry yeah go on yeah yeah well, we'll talk about it when we get to it but yeah yeah um 
Yeah, I think the uh, this like side effects thing, the the show or the like, the writers of the show are really good at at this sort of thing. Like, um, the the knock on effects of doing things and like who who intended for these to happen and which ones were like happy coincidences and things. Like taking on Oberstein sort of protects Kirkyice's innocence, and then the scene where. Lohan Graham has to go and talk to the Kaiser and say, please don't uh, remove these admirals from their position. Um, it wouldn't be, you know, right for me to have their place or whatever. Um, and then the Kaiser has to listen to him because it would, you know, uh, everybody kind of wants to keep these guys in those positions anyway. Um, mm-hmm. They sort of expect Lohan Graham to try and take one of the positions. He has like two excuses for not taking it now, which allow him to remain very ambiguous in everybody's eyes, which is useful because um, he needs people to not really know too much about his ambitions. So they think, is it because he's trying to just suck up to the Kaiser and give the Kaiser what he wants um, or, or maybe suck up to us, like try and buy some favor with the, the high level aristocrats by um, sort of protecting their jobs for them? Or has he just done it because he wants Oberstein and there's no other Mm. um no, no other way for him to get oberstein without offering these these admirals their their jobs back it's all like uh no it's one all can work ones, right? is thinking and yeah. it's not clear which ones are intentional and which ones are yeah yeah side effects which i think is very feels very realistic it seem like there was a one-to-one cost for the for the for the seat and for oberstein like you have to pay for that yeah but there's there's also a few comments that like he makes where he says it's not really like those seats aren't really worth that much to me anyway like everybody thinks that they are like it would be me rising up but this kind of these people are going to fall again at some point anyway they're all like incompetent so whether i get it now or whether i just shoot straight past them in the future it's yeah it's not it's not too much of a big deal for he me. calls it like a stopping point right like these yeah, positions stopping. would just be a stopping point on my way up so like yeah like i said yeah like what tom is saying i think like he doesn't really see them as that valuable like these positions so yeah there's a cost but it doesn't really cost him anything um and uh but everyone believes that it's cost him something um so even like the secretary of state is like oh he's been so humble something i wouldn't expect from someone so young you know this mm. kind of stuff um not quite playing the game at the same level that Lohan Graham is at that point in the story. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. There's, there's like a point they make in West Wing uh, a couple times where when a character offers, you know, someone else who's been running for the, for, for the presidency, they offer them mm-hmm. the vice president spot. Mm-hmm. And the guy never wants to accept it because he's yeah. like, well, that's it for me. That's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll never make it to the, the presidency if you give me that. Which, I mean, also isn't true because Biden is president. Sure. was vice president before uh, wasn't hw bush also vice president for, <laughs> for reagan or someone like that and then he became uh, president possibly um so i don't i don't think that bears truth in, in reality um, mm. i guess it kind of shoehorns you into a role for a certain number of years right like you're unlikely to get the presidency for another 10 years in that position yeah um so yeah mm-hmm um this episode ends on a flashback um to to uh, Lohan Graham and Kirk Geis's, I guess academy days mm. uh, the oh is that in this episode 
Oh, right. the final final sort of scene. Yes, um, I remember now, yeah. <clears throat> Lauren Graham wants to go visit her sister, mm-hmm. I guess, in a while. And as they're running off, uh, they see a, a man attacking a woman mm. or assaulting her. Um, and then Lone Graham like bunks him on the head and then yeah. runs off. Yeah. I, I thought that scene was a bit strange because like he left the guy with her. Um, I mean, it looked like he was pretty knocked out. Uh, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I guess also they didn't want to get spotted, right? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, that would have meant death for both of them. Um, uh, yeah, I think the scene is just supposed to highlight the depravity of the nobles and, right, like. Um, which Lohan Graham talks about when they're sitting on the hill um, and how uh, how corrupt the whole system has become. Um, yeah. And it presents Lohan Graham's like, ideological stance. Like, yes. Yeah. He does want power. He does want, I mean, this is why they talk about the history of Rudolph in the beginning. Mm, yeah. Because it sets up this scene which says, I can be the next Rudolph. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Do I'll do again. it right this time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually, I really, there's loads of things to talk about with this scene, but I really love the writing of Lohengram's statements. Like they could have delivered this in any way, but he delivers it like he's like Ursula Le Guin or something. He's like, you know, Rudolph, like we think of it as being eternal, you know, like being immortal, but it's only been 500 years, you know, just like there was no reason for mankind to exist. There's no reason for the Lohengram, oh, for the, for the, um, uh, the Goldenbaum dynasty to, to, to exist. Um, these things are just incidental. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. I thought it was, it's like, it's very, uh, it sums up his, yeah, his position quite well, I think, and quite neatly. Um, is Ursula Le Guin the, the, the one who said the thing about the divine right of kings? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That we might think capitalism is inevitable, but so did everyone. Everyone thought the same thing about the divine right of kings. Yeah. 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 Yeah, this, this scene is, is, is the gayest scene in the show. It is um, incredibly gay. Um, they, they get like nose to nose. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's it, yeah, it does look like they're about to kiss. Yeah. Um, maybe they maybe they should have done. Maybe they should have done. Fields together under the stars. Yeah. I think a and lot they, of... They shake hands and then hold hands in the, the shaking hands position. Yeah. <laughs> this is how men hold hands. Yeah. Um, while they look to the stars. Yeah. The skies um, of love, if you, if you, if you will. <laughs> um, also, the uh, is it this episode? No, it's not the next episode. We'll talk about it. When it yeah, um, this scene is is great because it's a flashback. They've put the like fuzzy boundary around the edge of the, oh. you know, around the <laughs> yeah. around the outside of the frame uh, to like be like, oh, it's a memory, or whatever, you know. But to me, it just looks like, you know, the Yowie filter. Like, they've just, like, <laughs> they've made it all, like, blurry, you know, uh, to to highlight the romance between the two characters. Mm. It's a good scene. Well, our, our memories are always more more romantic than we It's are. true. Yeah. Whose memory um, is it? Is it Lohengram's memory or is it Reinhardt, uh, Kirkjus? I think it's Kirkjus' memory, right? Because he's, yeah. like, walking home when he... Records. And at the end, he says that the stars right. are the same as they were that day. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. I think it's a very good and powerful scene where, he, or like, when he stands up and he's like, "Don't you think I could be Kaiser?" And then Kirky Ice is like, "Maybe if it's you, right? Like, I don't believe that anyone could be Kaiser. 
but yeah. like I believe that this person could be Kaiser. And I think it, yeah, it really does. Yeah. Uh, it's weird that the show take, took this long to uh, give us a reason for Kirk Ice's sort of, I don't know, what he actually believes. Yeah. But yeah. He believes in Lohengrim, right? Yeah, yeah I don't think sure. He believes in anything else besides that. No, no, no. I, yeah, I. Not strongly. No, yeah, I would struggle to pin down Kirkyis's political position at all, right? Like, yeah. I think he is wholly dedicated. I mean, this, to this, this, one this is probably person. like plays into the, like he's he's difficult to read. He seems a bit like a sociopath. I don't know what's going on because he's it just is very unclear like what he stands for, and he's so smart, he's so um, capable um like he he does everything effortlessly he has this moral compass where he stops low gram doing like certain things or like warns him against them, certain acts and, and 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 tries to guide him in this way as an advisor but never really tells him explicitly what to do um but at the same time you're like you don't really know what his what what, what he wants like what he's aiming for um he's just basically completely um, enthralled by Lohan Graham and his personality, and he just just really wants to be along for the ride mm. and see him. I don't know, like achieve really anything that Lohan Graham wants. Um, but I think it's like it's not just that he wants to be along for the ride. Like we see in episode nine, there's like a genuine love between them. Right? Yeah, like yeah. it's it's not like a. Um, it's not purely like a political kind of coattail riding. Yeah, yeah, um, like, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. This, yeah, this is why it's hard to see this relationship as anything other than like very romantic, I guess. Um, yeah. Because yeah, they don't necessarily seem aligned in terms of the end goal of what they want. Um, Kokias doesn't seem like he really cares that much about this whole taking over the universe thing, but he really just loves Lone Graham and wants him to, 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 yeah. to, yeah, to see him do things. He just loves to watch him work, you know? Um, uh, I, I was wrong. The episode doesn't end with that flashback. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> it ends with, um, the, the Kaiser cutting flowers. Oh my I, God. Yeah. I thought that's the end of episode. That's episode eight. Yeah. That's oh, is it? Oh, eight. I thought that was yeah. episode nine. Okay, I've got them mixed up. That's a really good I, ending too. That's such a good ending. I I gained so much respect for the Kaiser in that one scene because you're always like, always just like a bumbling idiot or whatever. But you're like, this is like an aesthete, you know? This is a person who values beauty above everything else, who is just like forced to be the Kaiser. And he doesn't really want to be. And like, um, you know it's like a, a being forced into political position is one of the most cushy prisons possible, but it is still a prison, right? Like, and he is still in that, in that position where he, he's not comfortable with the, with the, the role he's playing. Um, and he just wants to watch the world burn, uh, in the most magnificent way possible. Right. Like was it, he says, uh, yeah. He's like, if, if the golden bound dynasty or whatever, something like this has to, collapse or be destroyed or ended then it should be mm. ended in the most beautiful or magnificent way possible or something yeah yeah um huge respect yeah huge yeah. respect yeah yeah in, in that scene when when the state minister is like bowing before him he's like 
you know, I'm a little worried. And he was like, oh, worried about Lone Grow? Yeah, yeah. Might, oh, you mean he might try and uh, commit treason against me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm quite worked about it. I mean, let him do it. I mean, whatever. If he wants to do it, let him try it. I mean, dare I say it, it sounded a bit like Yang Wen Lee of him. To, yeah, to be so, right. Yeah. You know. But I think that's a... Yeah. I mean, I don't think they're too dissimilar in the sense that Yang Wenli's, one of Yang Wenli's main motivations is like the love of beauty, right? Like he talks about good tea and, you know, a good life and all this kind of stuff um, before he's interested in anything else. And I think the Kaiser is just less competent, right? But has the same, uh, same, same values. Um, I don't know if that, I got the sense that he's less competent or a bumbling idiot as much as mm. he just doesn't seem to care. Yeah, about, sure. Yeah. Uh, any sort of, his, he doesn't want to direct his mental faculties towards these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which we find out is true in the next episode. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, yeah, I'd forgotten about that scene. And um, we don't really see a lot of the Kaiser throughout the show. So um, he doesn't even get a lot of lines, really. And uh, yeah, it made me want yeah. to know more about him, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we yeah. don't see too much of him. Um, um, that does speaking of not seeing the Kaiser, um, that does lead us directly into episode nine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, we have to read the um, the summary, don't we? We haven't read the. Yeah. Remember to keep all the typos in. Episode nine: the the Klopstock incident. Uh, Thirty years ago, Marquis Klopstock was exiled from the Imperial Court. He asked Prince Otto von Braunschweig, the Emperor's son-in-law, to ask forgiveness on his behalf. Braunschweig invites him to his daughter's birthday party. Klopstock's real goal is to bring a bomb in order to kill the Emperor, who will be there. At the party, Reinhard von Lohengram clashes with Baron Flegel. The bomb is taken away by accident and makes little damage. Klopstock commits suicide and all the incident is kept secret. Is this Google Translated? (laughs) I don't think so. Um... I, uh, uh, yeah, just in case anyone who edits the Wikipedia is listening, you're doing God's work. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, 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 we value it, but yeah, I mean, no, we sorry, could, I, ed- I didn't mean to be derogative. No, no, nice. we, we, we could, we could edit them if we wanted to, you know, I'm pretty sure. Um, but no, they have a kind of charm to them. So, um, do you think- I just want to get this out. Oh, sorry, go on. Oh, you're going to say, I'm going to see if you say the same thing. Almost certainly not. Go for it. I I was going to say the clop stock incident, incident or whatever. A clock stops. A clock stops. I was going to say exactly the same thing. Is it supposed to be like clock stop? (laughs) There's there's a scene where a clock explodes. And he's constantly taking the time, right, to see when the the thing is going to, when the clock will stop and and kill the emperor or the kaiser. That's the aim. But the guy's name is Klopstock. Yeah. Which I, I, that's why I was looking up. Right <laughs> not getting that comic book ass writing right there. Like, it, it is like comic book writing. Um, but I think it is a German name as well. So I wasn't quite, yeah, sure. it seems too much of a coincidence. But I think if Maybe. you were a Japanese writer, this wouldn't seem as funny, right? Like, you're because like, a clock stopping you, you would write that in japanese you you wouldn't like yeah you know the phrase the clock stopped would never show up in your writing because yeah uh, yeah 
But then they still like a time themed Batman villain. (laughs) Doctor Klopstock. You've fallen into my trap, my cane trap, Batman. (laughs) Time is still ticking. For now. Um, it also yeah. made me think of the uh, number wang sketch, stop and zee clock, and uh, that that yeah, I, I couldn't get that out of my head the whole way through. Um, great episode though. Yeah. As is this one. I love this episode. This is my <laughs> yeah. favorite episode of the whole show. Um, tr- truly, it was because it felt like a a contained story, mm. like very contained. Uh, mm-hmm. No, it's really. Which isn't to say I wouldn't change things about it. I would. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really like this one. It opens with another history lesson. Mm-hmm. Uh, the history of how the Kaiser came to power. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is yep. he was never meant to. Yes. Which mm-hmm. kind of matches his character, right? Like matches what we see from him. Uh, yeah. That he was a debauched drunkard in his youth. Um, and then he uh, was forced to ascend the throne because of his... Um, again, Machiavellian brothers who couldn't actually wait for the throne. They they had to they had to try and kill their father. Classic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, they didn't, did they? Like, oh, they were the framed, old, right? Yeah. yeah. The elder yeah. brother was uh, said he was going to kill the the emperor, and so mm. the Kaiser, and so he got killed. And then they found out the younger brother falsely accused him. Yeah, yeah. So no one tried to kill that. Did <laughs> I just killed all his sons? <laughs> yeah well if you've ever played crusader kings 2 it's uh you know this is sometimes it has to happen uh when it does happen you get an achievement called the club stop incident no sadly not <laughs> what do we think of the general plot the plot the uh the the like the the the, the clop stock plot oh you mean like the conspiracy, not like the yeah. plot of the show. Not the plot right. of the show, yeah. yeah. I don't uh, it felt like a mission better. story from a Hitman level. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The birthday party. Yeah. I know the perfect yeah. place to put this bomb and how I'm going to disguise yeah. it. And it just gets carried away. Yeah, like the one of the... And you're just walking away and you're like, the perfect crime. And then one <laughs> of the staff members just carries the, the, the cane away. Um, the, 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 the actual plan to assassinate the kaiser is a very bad one like it is extremely bad like he puts a bomb in a cane and then he just leaves the cane on the bench in the Mm. hopes that the kaiser will like sit on the bench or be near the bench when the bomb goes off yeah um and won't be i don't know in the bathroom or in a different room or anywhere in the garden like it's it yeah it's a terrible plan um but the guy who makes the plan seems somewhat, um, I don't know, he's not really thinking clearly throughout the whole episode. So it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a desperate plan from a, a man in complete despair, I guess. So it sort yeah. of it sort of fits. Um, it's like quite a sad story from his point of view, I guess. It is a sad story. But then again, like you see him in his big house, yeah. living his comfortable life with his servants. He is the one who has hung on to that bitterness, right? Like the... The, the the rest of the the court has like moved on and he could have mm. you know could have accepted it but he spent the last 30 years uh roiling in his own bitterness yeah but he got uh, radicalized yeah right 
He went on some forums. I don't know. He was, you know, fell down the rabbit hole. Like he just, he was isolated for 30 years. Yeah. um, Yeah. Just, you know, stewing in his own anger. Mm. Um, He he seemed like a, like a a big believer in the national project of Mm. and saw the current royal family as a, as a real, uh, uh, you know, stain uh, on that royal tapestry. And, yeah, you know, just decided I'm gonna I'm gonna make things right. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it goes back to the thing we were saying about image before, right? Like that, um, there is almost nothing material. There's no materialist argument you can make for why he would want to kill the Kaiser. He believes in the Golden Bound Dynasty. He believes in the state project. He believes in the Empire. All of these things would naturally lead a person to not want to kill the Kaiser of the Emperor Empire. Uh, but this. Uh, idea about degeneracy or, or like, um, you know, uh, corruption creeping in and the image then of this, uh, this new ruler. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's like an aesthetic argument, right? Like it's not a, um, not a political one. It's the image of an old ruler that gets him into the party in the first place, right? So it's a gift sure. of the yeah. of yeah. 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 I'm just on top of my segues today. Um, uh, <laughs> what's what's great is when you point them out that's uh yeah and derail everything by doing so <laughs> uh, this one was a great segue i like this breakaway like meta textual yeah yeah um it is a painting of rudolph right that, that yeah was, yeah that he offers yes. to, uh... to the son-in-law who is married to the daughter of the kaiser yes or a niece of the Kaiser? I can't remember what the relationship is. Yeah. But not, not a daughter of Anne Rose, right? That's... No, no, I don't think no, so. No. I don't think they have any children, right? No. But Prince Prince Branschweig, this guy's a real dick. Like, <laughs> I didn't care for him. <laughs> I didn't care for him at all. Right. <laughs> yeah, he seems like a jerk from day one. And then he doesn't, there's no redeeming features, really. The whole way through the show. His, his son seems way worse. Yeah, oh, Somehow. yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah we, we, but we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves, going yeah. all over the place. But um, so let's talk about him when we get to it. Let's let's start with you, the you, like. You do, you do see the son right after they, uh, after the Klopstock, what's his name? Klopstock, yeah. Klopstock, when he gives him the painting and leaves. Yeah, his son talks to Flagel. Uh, yeah, yeah, he talks yeah. to his dad. He's like, um, "Aren't you the one who actually got made him feel ostracized?" Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, and he's like, "He's like Lamau, yes." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't seem like the the Kaiser cares one way or the other if he's ostracized or not. Like no. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Kaiser literally doesn't care. I mean, he, he doesn't even bother to show up to the party. He doesn't, I don't think he mentions Klopstock at any point throughout the story. This is, this is the affairs of minor nobles, you know. Um, well, so does he not show up to the party because he's actually sick? Because in the opening scene, doesn't he say, well, it is my, you know, it is my brother-in-law, hmm. it is my granddaughter's birthday or something. So I should, uh, let me go. I want to go. Yeah, I don't think, like, the show never answers this question, right? But I don't think he's actually sick. Someone says that maybe he's drunk too much, 
like uh, Countess, whatever her name is, Bar- no, Baroness. Uh, Bar- Baroness. Um, some, uh, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, yeah we'll, we'll talk about her in a moment as well because she is uh, real, the life and soul of the party and also um, finds ways to interrupt every scene uh, <laughs> and, and derail whatever's going on, uh, which I think is completely intentional. Uh, but um, yes, so I like, was he actually sick? Did, did he drink too much? Or did the state, because the state secretary basically advises him not to go, right? Like, because you've been to too many of Prince Branschweig's parties and you haven't been to enough of this other guy. Mm-hmm. And the Kaiser's like, oh, for God's sake. Like, uh, now I want to go. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Could be anything. No, it's interesting. Um, great cars. They, they, they all great drive cars. great cars. Really nicely designed. Yep. Um, and then and then we get to, to Lohengrim in this episode and your, mm-hmm. your favorite memeable moment. <laughs> <laughs> when he's like sulking like a like a toddler like a toddler or something like he's yeah. like looking off to the side like sulking he's like no i don't want to go and kirky ice is like come on don't be difficult like you know like it's gonna be fine once you're there you'll enjoy it no <laughs> i won't like, even know anyone there yeah yeah like, Ugh, i have to go i guess fine i'll go but you're gonna come with me right yeah, yeah. Right. Yes, I'll go with you. I'll, I'll wait in the car for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like a puppy. Um, yeah. I didn't quite understand why... So I guess Lohengrim was the only one invited, not Kirkyais. Well, Kirkyais is just like his servant, technically, right? Like, although Kirkyais is like an admiral or whatever. Yeah. He's not a noble, as we learned in the original flashback episode, so... Yeah, true. He does, he does dress kind of strange this episode. He dresses like a... I don't know, like a Shakespearean pirate or something. I don't yeah. know how to describe it. I love everyone's drip in this episode. Like, and and like, there's the the. I think it's this episode where the Kaiser is like wearing this green jacket with like, uh, tr- like tree like like vines going down either side of the the jacket, and you're like, God, this is that's such a cool jacket. Like, um, yeah. I mean, all the nobles look like they're about to get beheaded by the French. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh the house like the design of the house is very good as well if we were from designs uh like the the like noble's house it reminds me of uh clifton house in in berkshire it's like this beautiful old uh yeah manor house amazing um and on designs i love the 1980s imperial laptop yes oh yeah i'm glad you brought that up it's so good it is so good like uh kirky ice on this like brick laptop (laughs) with the the like filigree you know going up the sides oh so good it's not just the laptop though is it it's got he's got the little like pda the like yeah yeah it used to be like a nokia like 20 years ago that was a phone but you could open it up like a laptop (laughs) on the inside with its own miniature keyboard and that's what it It seems strange that you open that up just to look at the big clock. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just for our, like, for our purposes. But yeah. surely he would have a tiny clock on his weird laptop. <laughs> he opened a separate screen just for yeah. the clock. Oh my god! I, the 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 bulky nineteen eighties laptop is so good. I I, I adore it. Um, yeah. Okay. You should be able to buy that as a decal design for your laptop. Yeah. 
uh, Isselon Fortress should get on it. Um, okay, so the 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 party starts. Well, the party starts. People turn up. These are the painting. Party starts. Lone Grand explodes in. in the car park. Where he nearly opens explodes. the door and he nearly collides with. Oh Stop. yeah. And he's like, "I'm so sorry. That was rude of me." And it's like, "Who who is this old guy? Why won't he talk back to me?" Because yeah. because he's, he's got a bomb in his cane. Right. Because obviously, Klopstock had his plot. The Klopstock plot. Uh, <laughs> Um, but I, 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 I thought that that interaction was quite weird. Like he like opens the car door and he bangs into Klopstock. Is it because he's got a bomb in his cane? Is that why he's like, so. I think that's why he's like, he's like, why Klopstock doesn't say anything. And he's like, yeah, because he's, you know, he's on his mission to plant his bomb. And then suddenly this guy basically collides with him while he's got the cane in his hand. I assume that's why he Mm, reacts so strange. But it gives her like an opportunity, I guess, for the Baroness to turn up and then they to ask, who is this guy? And we get a, yeah. we already know as the audience, but I guess it explains it to Lone Graham. And then like, this is jumping forward a little bit, but then Lone Graham goes in and then he's like looking at the painting and, you know, the the, the guy, what's his name? Flegel, Flegel, Flegel yeah. comes along and starts being a real, yeah, just being really unpleasant to him. And um, yeah. and then Logram delivers this thing about a Klopstock. It's like like he's like he's known this family for ages, and he knows the whole history. And he's like, well, they used to be a powerful family too, and blah 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 blah. He's like, literally, just didn't know who they were in the car park. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I thought yeah. It was... Kirky Ice has filled them in. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah. Patching through the notes from the Imperial computer. It, that line is so cold, though. Right when he's like, oh, this this guy uh, is so pathetic. Like he gave us this painting. And then uh, Lone Graham's just like, well, you know, times change. Maybe your family will be the one giving up the painting in there in a few years. Yeah. yeah. Such a shame it would be. Yeah. <laughs> and then he says a thing about ill-bred dogs deserve a kicking every so often, um, which is just <laughs> obviously like uh, Lone Graham has these moments, like when he almost stones that guy to death. Yeah, or like when he um, attacks that kid in the classroom. I can't remember what he does. Like, he, uh, yeah, slaps kicks him. him or, like slaps him. That's right. Yeah, and he has these outbursts, especially when Kirky Ice is not around. Like, it's like as soon as Kirky Ice is not in the room, his uh, his filter is off, and he just um, becomes this horrible, uh, <laughs> just like brat, basically, just like being spicy for the sake of it, like. Mm. Yeah, a lot of people seem to think that they can kind of intimidate him physically or intimidate him by their mm. like sort of aggressive language. Um, and sometimes I feel like lulled into the sense that he would th- 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 this is a weakness for him um, mm. because like you don't see him like spark too often about this sort of stuff. He's usually you know he's the general on the ship directing people. He's not really in harm's way, but he's completely unafraid of this sort of altercation. Um, or mm. like physical fighting and things like, and uh, this moment where he just, this person turns up and it's just being like a real dick to him. And then he just, um, and, it, and then he's just, yeah, he's just so insulting and aggressive back that uh, I was reminded that, like you say, yeah, he has this, this temper in him and he's not afraid of, if that came down to a fight, I don't think he would hesitate either to have no. uh, yeah, yeah. got involved. Um yeah. yeah. 
it doesn't seem like with Lone Graham you can you, you can't intimidate him. You can't overpower him. You can't beat him in a in a battle of wits or words. Uh, which I think maybe makes Yang Wenli such a perfect foil for him because mm-hmm. he doesn't do any of that. He just doesn't care. He's like, yeah, cool, yeah. whatever you want to do. He just, <laughs> yeah, he brings a real Matthew McConaughey energy to <laughs> any sort of conflict. That it's like it bounces off of him. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I thought it was funny, like when Flagel is like, "You've made an enemy today," you know, like uh, you, you, you know, you're, uh, you've made a mistake, you know, insulting me or whatever. And then uh, he turns around. And he's like, "Cool. See you later. I guess." Make sure you do it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, deeply good. Uh, They're sort of interrupted, right, by uh, Flagel's dad announcing that the Kaiser is on his way. Mm. Um, and then he says uh, everyone should, like, welcome him for his arrival. But I was a little confused because then it cuts to the crowd going, oh, uh, we should go. And then it, the whole crowd starts leaving. Right, yeah, I thought, yeah. well, they don't want to see the Kaiser? <laughs> I'm leaving the party now. I, I was a bit confused by how they. Sort of... Maybe your subtitles were different because I think in my one he says like we need to make preparations for his arrival. Uh, so I think everyone's like leaving the room so that they can prepare an entryway. Uh, but yeah, then he never shows up. An, how extremely... embarrassing for him! Yeah, cut yeah. cut in the Baroness. <laughs> Baroness, who is this person? She just appears. Yeah. And I don't know if she ever comes up again in the show. And she's just there to basically like ramp up just drama. gossip yeah. and rant, ramp up drama, uh, say a bunch of like outrageous things, and then she just disappears again. I wish she'd been in the show more. Yeah, I thought like, she was she turns funny. Up, she not show up again? I, maybe she shows up late in one more episode, but like she's not like a recurring character. Well, um, yeah. Because she turns up as well, she's like, Kirky Ice, why didn't you come visit me the other day? And Kirky Ice is like, um, uh, 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 yeah. uh yeah. I thought they were really introducing like a wedge into like turning it into a love triangle. I thought that right. was the implication of her showing up constantly. Uh, well, I, I don't want to spoil anything, but no. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know if she ever appears again. Like if she does, I think we, 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 we will Not definitely me. draw attention to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, so she's literally just there for exposition to tell you about uh, club star. But such spicy exposition, yeah. Like she's really, you know, she's laying it on thick with the like, oh, did I make? Did I do a treason? Like she comes over and she's like, oh, I think you probably drank too much. Oops, did I say that? <laughs> like, <laughs> I think it's it's like, yeah, she does do this. She, I think she also serves a role as like another element of the aristocracy that you don't see in anyone else in this mm-hmm. episode like you see the corruption you see like the people who are against the corruption um we've seen the kaiser and how he just is, like doesn't care anymore and then we have this um baroness who's she's like she's just she, she also kind of, like completely understands the level of kind of corruption and like sees everything is kind of a joke like the the mm-hmm. the I don't know, like depravity of the whole thing, but also she knows she's completely a part of it, and she doesn't want it to be really changed either. But she has yeah. a sort of sense of humor about the whole thing, um, which I don't know. I don't think any of the other characters have really like come in with that sense of humor about the whole mm-hmm. ridiculousness of situation. Not that she really says very much, but just just her general attitude. Even like yeah. after the bomb explodes, and she just like wanders over, like 
hey, I think I deserve some attention too. And she's right, just yeah, like, yeah. she doesn't even seem bothered by the explosion that's happened. Yeah. She just stands around like talking like yeah. it's an everyday event. Um, yeah. I know a bomb went off, but what about me? Yeah. Everyone's talking about the bomb. Yeah. But what about it's my me? birthday next week? That one's going to be even better than this party. <laughs> um, yeah, she's great. She reminded me a bit of like Nanami in uh, Utena. It's like a similar <laughs> energy. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. The bomb goes off, or the guy leaves the cane on the ground or on the on the bench. Klopstock leaves the cane on the bench, and then he goes off and he drives away. Which weird choice, like weird choice, because. Would you not want to stay to make sure that everything goes off without a hitch? Like, I know he doesn't want to be implicated or, or this kind of thing, but I just thought it was weird. He was clearly incredibly confident that it, it yeah. was foolproof. <laughs> yeah. so which, is, which is a surprise because the plan is very bad, as we've talked about. Mm. Um, I think there's something about, I was thinking about this as well, like, why wouldn't he be there? I was also thinking, you know, the, the way that the episode ends, like, and he's so desperate, I kind of was a bit surprised mm. he wouldn't just, like, try and um, to be there when the explosion went off and make mm. sure that he he takes down anyone he wants to take down, even at, with um, his own life ending. But I think that, like, the, the, the hurt pride that he has, like, this is all about mm. revenge and about uh, the, the bitterness, that, like, somehow being remote from that, back in his comfortable mansion while the explosion right, yeah. goes off it, it would kind of seems like a really powerful move like way more mm. way more of a powerful position than being on the scene seeing it just like these people are like now kind of beneath me i'm far removed they're being taken right, yeah, care yeah. of this is my like me getting my kind of power and uh control back in the way that i used to operate um that's sort of what it made me made me think of. yeah i think that makes it, sense. it doesn't work out like that but um and him looking at himself while this is all happening, the picture yeah. himself. Yeah, I mean, he he like does this weird little prayer to the Kaiser when he gets home, mm. um, right, to, to Rudolph. I don't think any of this is about Rudolph, obviously, right? Like, it's about him. Um, it's about his revenge and his, you know, and he dresses it up however he wants to dress it up, but it's like a personal vendetta that he has. Um, and yeah, he's selfish and prideful and not very bright, clearly. Um, and... Uh, yeah. I've got the sense he genuinely believes he's doing it for the, the good of country and the good of the dynasty. I don't think maybe he's lying to, he's lying to himself about it, but people who are radicalized in this way like don't understand the underlying reasons of how they got that way, but they think they're doing it for some larger thing, something beyond themselves. I definitely think he's lying to himself. I don't think he's aware that he's doing that, right? Like, I, I do think that he, like, genuinely believes in the state project and in the Kaiser, like I said at the beginning. But the motivation or the anger, like, all of that emotional stuff, I think is a personal injury, right? Like, it's it's nothing to do with his um, ideology. Like, if he hadn't been slighted in the way that he was slighted, I don't think he would have carried out this, this bombing, right? <laughs> right? Mm. Like, yeah. Yeah. One thing about the bombing, um, prior to that, I thought there was a, a, a lazy decision by the writers, um, which was um, to, to draw out uh, tension to get Lohengrin closer to the cane. They had a woman mm. to faint, 
Mm. Why, why she fainted? Who cares? Doesn't matter. Right. She just fainted in his arms, and so he has to find the nearest bench to put her up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just thought. I agree. I don't see what the point of that was. I think that you could have just had the cane, like it would have been absurd and maybe a bit too like modern to just had the cane removed from the room for like no reason. Like some servant is just like, someone clean up this cane. Like someone's left this cane, like put it in another room. Um, and you're like all of this work and all of this like emotional energy that went into this bombing. And in the end, like it was, it did like, it was all just uh, foiled by some random, uh, you know, uh, like a housekeeper. Um, I don't see why Lohengram had to be involved in that at all. It's odd. Yeah. And yeah, lazy, I think. Yeah. I think, like you say, the only the only mm-hmm. reason is to kind of draw attention to it happening or mm-hmm. like, yeah, know, know that he's getting closer to the bench. But by the end, the thing gets removed. So it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, I also thought it was pretty lazy. Um, yeah. I can't really think of a better way of like, resolving that situation when you have the cane have, on the bench but i have a better way we've already established that the baroness has a bit of a crush on kirky ice she should have been like longgram like let's have a chat and when they had their little chat about the emperor or whatever she could have like sat down on the bench with him and then just be like someone move this cane you know like call over a servant or whatever and be like move this cane then you just have the conversation between the two of them happen on the bench you know, and if you want to make it last slightly longer because you've got a bit of extra runtime, she could ask about Kirky Ice, and there you go. You've got like a, mm. um, yeah. That's why she wanted to sit on the bench away from the crowd. She wanted to have that conversation. Yeah, something like that would have been fine. Yeah. yeah. I, I I find it um, that's so that's so true. That, that would have been better. More time with the Baroness also would have mm. been better. <laughs> um, I do think it's funny that in the plot summary we read, it said. Uh, his bomb plan didn't work, minor injuries, except that butler definitely died, right? The one yeah. carrying out the game. <laughs> yeah, the bomb plan was a complete wash. Nothing, nobody died, right? Except for the guy who was holding the cane when it exploded. That guy, yeah, that guy was, was pasted. He's like, yeah. Imagine that guy's last thoughts. He's carrying this cane and he's like, hey, this is a pretty nice cane. It's a nice cane. <laughs> making a weird sound, but I guess that's the aristocracy for you. Yeah. Is this cane ticking? He put a clock in his in yeah. his cane. <laughs> um, then we get uh, so the explosion. Okay, the explosion goes off. Kirkyus is in his in the car, tapping away on the on the nineteen eighties uh, laptop. Um, he try he realizes what's going on before it happens and he tries to get into the building right and the guards won't let him in um this scene doesn't really serve any purpose except to just frustrate the viewer i think <laughs> except i guess it, it demonstrates that kirky ice is, is smart which we already know um but yeah it is it's very frustrating to watch um and uh I guess also like, they, the... they don't know who he is, which is, but then when the other other guy comes out, they're like, uh, the captain under, whatever his name is, Braunschweig. Um, oh, he's like, oh, who name. are you? Like, I'm a captain, whatever. And he's like, who are you? And he's like, oh, Vice Admiral Kirky, I so work for Lone Crown. Mm. He's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Please come straight in. Um, but like, people don't know who he is yet. Um mm-hmm. Even though he like they when they know his name, they're like, oh, okay, this guy's extremely important. I should have 
I should have he should have been allowed straight in but um mm-hmm. yeah they're still rising stars I guess but I don't know if it was really really necessary you don't really learn much else in that short yeah. short sequence I guess the desperation of Kirkyais to get in under any circumstance you know under any you know like he realizes that that the lone gram's in danger and we see him see him panic mm. um yeah bomb goes off and then we do get Kirky Ice's actual panic and the, uh, this Anne's back guys panic. Yeah. yeah. Right. They both, they both go in <laughs> looking for their, for their boyfriends. Yeah. Uh, like running around. Um, yeah. I think it's a very sweet scene. Like, I think it's very, uh, very endearing to, to both of them. Um, uh, he finds a lone ground eventually after a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, fine not not yeah. really a scratch on him yeah. holding a bottle of champagne yeah um, <laughs> i like that uh like um lone grab like kind of tries to flirt with him and then uh Kirkus just doesn't pick up on it at all he's like yeah it yeah. is your fault so you owe me a coffee and Kirkus yeah. is like um oh is it my I, fault <laughs> like, i think oh, you're slightly i think you're slightly misremembering because what he does is he flirts with him and he says yeah it is your fault you owe me a coffee wink yeah. wink yeah and then uh, the Baroness comes in and she's like, crazy day, huh? Crazy party. <laughs> that is what happens. <laughs> just like, just come in like a cruise missile to ruin this uh, this this moment. Lone Graham under his breath is like this bitch. Okay. <laughs> she kind of clop blocking. Finds, yeah, <laughs> clop blocking. Pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> uh, it's um yeah it, it is it, it did make me laugh when i was watching it like this this just she just arrives and uh interjects um and then they stand around watching the painting burn mm. and um and the funny thing is you're like they're all standing there and nobody's putting the painting out and I thought to myself, like, oh, they're they're all standing there, like, enjoying the sort of symbolism of the painting burning. Mm-hmm. And then one of them is like, pretty cool symbolism, though, right? <laughs> yeah. like, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure it's the Baroness. Is like, yeah. well, yeah, uh, I it really do be that way, though. Yeah. <laughs> As the painting is yeah. just like, yeah. <laughs> uh, which I just thought was very funny. I don't know. I don't know if it was intentionally supposed to be funny, but just the idea of these three. Because it's exactly the kind of way that you behave when you're like in your early twenties. And I'm not going to do anything about this situation. I'm just going to sort of take in the, uh, you know, vibes. The, the the vibes of the situation. Yeah, um, this is what I mean about the Baroness, though. Like she's completely involved in the aristocracy. She doesn't want it yeah. to be any different. She loves her life, but she also yeah. completely knows what's going on and finds it funny when like people get upset about, <laughs> you know, like some art being burned. Like, yeah. Um, um yeah so it ends with the yeah the painting burning the 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 golden bound dynasty is is, is effectively na- well yeah narratively now the kaiser may may as well already be dead um because we've been shown the burning painting and the um you know the flower sort of space scene and stuff, yeah and the flower scene so as far as the as the as the viewer is concerned it's just a matter of time um mm. Then we cut to the man himself. A, a second fire, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and this is what I wanted to, yeah, like the scene when the building is burning, he's committed suicide in the building. He started this fire in his house. Um, he dismisses his butler and all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, and then there's the police outside or the, the army outside. And they're like, we, we won't open fire because there's a statue of the Kaiser, like in front of the, mm -hmm. the, the house. Um, I thought this... Yeah, it kind of like goes back to what we're talking about um, with image, right? And symbols and when there is nothing left like upholding the state on the inside and it just becomes its history or its its symbolism. Um, that, yeah, that these uh, police officers feel it would be some sort of transgressive act to open fire on a statue of like a 500-year-old uh, emperor um, while... Uh, a bomb has literally just gone off at a party and people mm. have died. Mm. And it also gives like the Bron Bronzweig, the, the, you know, the, the line, he says, it's like, oh, that's ridiculous or something like, what, mm. you, why didn't you do this? It's like, oh, well, there's a statue of the guy that's like, to be ridiculous. Even though he spent the whole of the episode, uh, like talking about this painting of the Kaiser and like, yeah, right, being worried yeah. about the painting being on fire and all this stuff. And it's like, I don't know, it just brings the the episode to the um back to that that point like you're saying about the the aesthetics it's not about the kaiser really at all it's just about these mm -hmm. um about these people themselves yeah i can't help but think about you know in in, in respect to like how image is treated uh, with such reverence in, in terms mm -hmm. of that statue and then you think about in the last couple of years the protests around the statues mm -hmm. and then the yep. laws that have been placed to protect those statues mm -hmm. Um, or like even the the like sort of people getting annoyed at those like the the protests that like people put you know the extinction extinction rebellion ones where they mm -hmm. put their hands and then put it on the the art pieces in museums or the paintings mm -hmm. in museums. Yeah, like, yeah, it's a fairly benign protest. It's like extremely peaceful, mm -hmm. and people just lose their minds. They're so annoyed about it. Yeah, yeah, um, and they're like. How dare they do that while their house is on fire and they're going to yeah. die in 20 years? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. By the sea. And I'm like, yeah. Um, it, it's the, the pride that shows very prescient once again. So, yeah. Um, I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I think um, it's impossible to do a Legend of the Galactic Heroes podcast without it bleeding into real life politics a little bit. Um, but this like thing about yeah, mistaking the map for the territory and mistaking your symbolism for your value system or mistaking your symbolism for the government itself, right? When people say like, oh, we should take down this statue of like a Baron Von Genocide who, you know, ruled over, you know, like, and you're like, I, I don't know, maybe it's good if we take down that statue and put it somewhere else. I mean, in the Soviet Union, after the Soviet Union fell, people took all the statues of Stalin, they just dumped them in a big Stalin park. Um, and nobody forgot that Stalin existed to, to my to my memory um it's it's like uh, uh people say yeah when you talk about like oh this is erasing history again i think you're mistaking the map for the territory thinking of your the symbols of your state as being equivalent to the history or to the reality of your state um and it's uh, i think a pretty empty and vapid road to start walking personally and i think the show takes the same position um, yeah i mean it's never yeah. about it's never about preserving history it's about continuing that history i think yeah. and and, yeah. and being allowed to carry on with the like the ideology that led to those those symbols mm -hmm. in the first place um 
but it yeah it's you can use this as an excuse as no that's not that's those aren't my intentions it's all it's all about preserving history it's not about yeah yeah. anything modern but but it is about those things and it's the same in the show i think like the um yeah the, the the removal of these symbols like allowing for a new era to come into mm-hmm. being but yeah yeah i mean i think the symbolism of your your culture or your state or whatever massively outlast the actual state right like you can end up living in a dead uh institution for a very long time without realizing it because everything appears to look the same. And I think that's that kind of the empire that we step into in Legend of Galactic Heroes is one where all of the symbolism and the um, structures of the state have been kept intact, but a lot of the state itself is now like crumbling on the inside. Um, I think the same can be said of real life uh, politics, obviously, where you um, get so caught up in the theater of whatever institution you're a part of that it's yeah you don't realize that yeah your house is burning and you're about to get swallowed up by the sea that's come out yep it's crazy that your house is burning and you're about to get swallowed up by the sea at the same time well, like yeah yeah you, you th- think what, one what, would solve the other yeah yeah <laughs> oh thank god my house isn't on fire anymore <laughs> problem solved um what 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 rating would you give these episodes i we i think i kind of vaguely remember your ratings of the last ones is this, are these episodes eight and nine? Yeah. I would give these with the ratings eight and nine for yeah. each one. Yeah. I really I, liked I, uh, episode nine. I hope that that trend continues all the way to episode 110. Yeah. Uh, that by the time we reach 110, yeah, 110 stars. Like, yeah, okay, yeah. I, there's n- mm. no comments. Yeah. yeah. Episode two. Yeah. Well, what about you guys? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I love both of these episodes. Um, I think they're both great. I think obviously there's they're kind of imperfect because it's Legend of the Galactic Heroes and it's it's messy always. Um, but I think, as you say, like these are so contained. They have a thesis, right? Like the two episodes have a thing to say, like a specific thing to say um, about images and states and all this kind of stuff. Um, and they also get to be a fun, you know, uh, sort of sort of uh, almost like Pride and Prejudice slash PG Woodhouse slash you know uh poirot episode uh at the same time um yeah they're they're very fun yeah i think you definitely see a lot of the richness and depth of the show beginning to surface um to go back to like where we started but the narrator having to explain (laughs) so much of the history and so many of the uh the pieces that are set up for these episodes at the beginning it's like because there's just too much to to say without a narrator um that now I feel like, yeah, the show is really like becoming very complex and um, yeah, it has all these moving parts and things. It's it's cool to see that beginning to happen more. Great. Does, does anyone have any other things they want to say? No, yeah. Uh, I think that's that's basically it. I think these are two very fun episodes and uh, I'm, yeah, I'm excited to watch the next ones. Yeah. Do you know what? For the first time, so am I. <laughs> for the first time <laughs> and we got there eventually thanks for listening to this episode of In the Skies of Love we hope you enjoyed our discussion of Legend of the Galactic Heroes if you have comments or questions please reach out to us at intheskiesoflove@gmail.com. at gmail.com and you can find Kamel on Twitter at HiKamel.
Tune in next time for our review of episodes 10 to whenever the arc ends. And until then, we'll see you in the skies of love. Yeah, I know a bomb went off, but what about me? Right? Everyone's talking about the bomb, but what about me?